0: My name is Marizal, and I will be your online host for today. If this is your first time visiting us, please let us know. You can text me to 604-285-570 or visit mythrive.info and we will mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. We are delighted to have you here at Thrive and we want to connect with you. Here at Thrive kids we teach our children about the Lord and His great love for them. If you want to help your children grow in their knowledge and understanding of the gospel, Thrive Kids are the place to be. So if you have kids aged three to 12, don't forget to visit mythrive.info for all the fun kids activities and the Zoom class every Sunday from 10.45am to 11.15am. I really enjoy the weather here in Vancouver recently, especially when it's sunny outside. I would always pray for gelato ice creams. So my question to you today is what's your favourite and least favourite ice cream flavour? be awesome if you can help share Thrive Church online to your friends take a selfie of you watching today's service and share it on your social media remember to include us at #ThriveChurchOnline and now get your bible and notebook ready for this powerful message from Pastor JB
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive, and I'm so excited to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you're our first-time guest, you are also what we call our VIP. And we are especially thrilled and excited that you've joined us today. Uh, In fact, we've got a special gift we want to give to you. If you want to go to our website, mythrive.info, it's our Next Steps website. If you want to touch the button that says New to Thrive, we would love to send to your door your very own stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle, just a simple little way to say thank you so much for joining us today. You are our VIPs, so good to have you here. In fact, welcoming is not just what we do here at Thrive, welcoming is who we are. And so with that in mind, in your chat rooms right now, would you welcome one another? Maybe you're sitting beside someone right now, would you give them a hug, a handshake, a high five, or an air version of those three? And let's welcome one of the house of God today. Praise God. It is so good to have each and every one of you here. A big welcome to each and every one of you here. Before we get into the message, which I'm so excited to bring to you today, let me let you know something very exciting that's happening today. Today, right after our service, we have something going on, which is called Thrive Discipleship School. And if you don't know what Thrive Discipleship School is about, let me tell you about it right now. Is that here at Thrive, we really believe that you were made not just to be a spectator here at church, but you were made to grow in your relationship with God. And that's why we've created a course here at Thrive called Thrive Disciple School. It's one of the best things that we do here at Thrive. And it's all about learning the keys to growing in your relationship with God. And so if you're uh, you know new to faith, new to Christianity, you wanna grow in your relationship with God, or maybe you've been going to church for a really long time, but you've kind of hit a rut and you're kind of stuck in a certain place when it comes to relationship with God, then we couldn't think of a better thing to do than Thrive Disciple School. It's happening today. And in fact, at 12, 1245. Did I get that right? 1245? At 1245, we're going to have a QA and a for those of you who have questions about Thrive Disciple School. You just want to kind of get a better sense of what is going on there. It's an online course, and so you can take it at your own pace, with your own flexibility, wherever you are. Uh, but this is just an awesome opportunity to grow in your relationship with God. We had different people throughout the year, as we do different rounds of TDS, uh, giving their feedback on their experience. And this is what one person wrote. They said, so after TDS, i now have a better understanding about Christianity. I feel I'm closer to God and I'm ready to experience more of God on my spiritual journey. Since TDS, I now allocate more time and energy to spend with God daily, to put God first, and let God be in the driver's seat. I have more confidence now in praying, uh, praying for others, and asking the Holy Spirit to fill me. Praise God for that. Another person wrote, uh, you know, my favorite part of TDS is that the class is flexible. I can take the class wherever I am, whenever I want, and still have a chance to get in touch with other people, because you're not doing it on your own, you're doing it with other people. Finally, one person said, my favorite part of TDS was the worship in the videos. I loved taking time to rest and worship in God's presence. Praise God. Let me just give one final plug for TDS right now. Is that the fact is this, each and every one of us have or will spend years, sometimes in some cases decades, studying in school. Uh, subjects that, are, that we find interesting and subjects that we maybe don't find very interesting. The fact is this, your relationship with God is the most important part of you. And wouldn't it be worthwhile to spend even just seven weeks investing in your relationship with God? And so with that in mind, I encourage you to sign up at mythrive.info for TDS, Thrive Discipleship School. It might just be one of the best decisions you make all year. Can we give God a big hand for that? Praise God. <clears throat> sign up for TDS, we would love to see you there. Praise God. You guys bring your Bibles today. If you brought your Bibles, it's time to get that now. This is my Bible. Maybe yours is a paper Bible like mine. Maybe yours is a phone or device you downloaded the Bible into. Either way is cool. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay, but I'm going to encourage you to hold up your Bible if you got one right now, and we're just going to make this proclamation together in faith, just a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message today. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Let's say this together in a big loud voice. We're gonna say, this is my Bible, it is God's word. I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what it says I can do. Today I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, by the way, if you're new to church, never been to church before, maybe you're new to Jesus and the Bible, you're just exploring, maybe you come from another faith background or no background at all, we hope you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can ask questions, a place where you can find some community, some encouragement, some some hope to help you start off this new week. And if there's any way we can be serving you in any way at all, you can email us at info@thrivechurch.ca. You can also go to mythrivechurch.ca thrive.info for all different next steps that you can take. We're so thrilled that you are here. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called Waiting for Sunrise. And in the series, we're looking through the powerful book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And we're asking a question, which is how do you keep your hope alive in a time of waiting? Are you going through a time of waiting right now? Maybe when it comes to your future, maybe it comes to your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe when it comes to waiting for an answer to a problem that you don't have a solution for right now. Fact is, we're all waiting. We're all waiting for coronavirus cases to go down. We're all waiting for life to go back as normal as it can be. And so we're all waiting in different ways. And so if you're finding yourself in a season of waiting, this message series is for you. And in this series, we're looking through the powerful book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And today I've got the honor, the joy, the privilege of sharing the message with you all today. And so let's get into it right now. See, today we're looking at chapters 36 to 39 of the book of Isaiah. We're not gonna read all of it, but we're gonna to touch on parts of it. And in case you're just joining us today or you've been following along, uh, the fact is this, is that sometimes because Isaiah is such a big book and it's not the easiest book to read and to understand, sometimes it's easy to get lost in the book of Isaiah. And so maybe you're here and you're like kind of, where do I, you know Isaiah 36 to 39 fit into the bigger picture of this big book of Isaiah? Well, let's look in that right now. See, Isaiah is is not your typical storybook, which runs chronologically, sequentially, like kind of like chapter one, boy is lonely. Chapter two, boy meets girl. Chapter three, boy and girl fall in love. Chapter four, big misunderstanding, breakup. Chapter five, uh, they come back together, everything resolved. Chapter six, they live happily ever after. It's not one of those chronological storybooks. Rather, you're gonna find that Isaiah is more a collection of different writings, teachings, prophecies, visions, and even a bit of history that Isaiah the prophet writes down. And so there isn't, when you're reading the book of Isaiah from front to back, it's not like there's this obvious chronologically ordered story that runs through that entire book. It's more like watching or listening to your favorite pop album from your favorite singer, your favorite band, You know, where you, know, you listen to one song, but that one song, does it have that much to do with the song that came before? Not really sure. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It's more something like that. That said, if you wanna make sense of the different pieces that make up the book of Isaiah, or at least the first 39 chapters of it, it could look like this. This is just Isaiah chapter one to 39 at a glance, all right? We'll really really quickly go through this. Isaiah chapter one to five, what is that about? Isaiah one to five is really about God's heart breaking over the sinfulness of the people of Judah, the nation of Judah. He's grieving over the injustice that's happening there. He's grieving over the wickedness that's happening in there. He's grieving over how his relationship with them has become so strained and so distant and so superficial. And so God's heart is breaking for the people of Judah. And then in Isaiah six, we have Isaiah seeing a vision of who God is. In the year that his king, the king of Judah called Uzziah dies, Isaiah in a vision sees another king who is high and exalted and his name is the Lord. He is holy, holy, holy. And in response to this holy king, Isaiah commits to be becoming a prophet for the people of Judah. He says, here I am, send me. And then Isaiah 7 to 12, Isaiah starts to write down some different signs from God of God's power and God's hope that are gonna be displayed in the future. In particular, with respect to this Messiah, this savior king that God is gonna send to the people of Judah, send to the world to rescue his people. What kind of signs? Well, signs like in Isaiah chapter seven talks about how, A virgin will be with child and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? And then Isaiah chapter nine talks about, for unto us a child is born. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In other words, there's gonna be a child that's gonna be born who's not gonna be any ordinary child. He's gonna be both human and divine. They're gonna call him Mighty God. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, we hear about how God is gonna take the land of Judah, the nation of Judah, he's going to cut it down to a stump, almost nothing less. But out of that stump is going to rise this shoot, this branch called the branch of Jesse, who's going to be like this Messiah, who's going to lead the people again. And when that Messiah comes to reign for good, that's when the nations rejoice. That's when the earth is glad. That's when people call on his name. That's Isaiah 7 to 12. Moving on to Isaiah 13 to 23. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. This is Isaiah's book of burdens. And what's that? That's where God has messages for different nations around the world, and these are messages of judgment. But if you read carefully these messages, you're going to find that in so many of these messages, there is a seed of hope that God plants in each one, or almost each one, of these messages in Isaiah's book of burdens. And then you go to Isaiah 24, 25, 26, 27, and that is Isaiah's, well, what, what, what we call Isaiah's apocalypse, which is basically Isaiah's view of the end times, of the last day, some crazy stuff, crazy pictures going on there about, you know, the earth, you know, what's going to happen, all that stuff. And then Isaiah 28 to 33 is what I call the five woes and the five hopes. It's where, you know, Isaiah is talking about how, you know, the land of Judah, his country of Judah has established this alliance with the nation of Egypt, thinking that this alliance is going to save them from this big Godzilla monster called the kingdom of Assyria that is wreaking havoc everywhere and they want to protect themselves from Assyria. And so they join up with Egypt and God is saying, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to help you. And so in these messages, there are five messages of warning, but in each of these messages of warning, these five woes, there's also five messages of hope that you can find. And then we get to Isaiah 34 to 35, where God in 34, he's judging the nations. And in verse, and in chapter 35, he's restoring his people. And that leads us to where we today. Isaiah chapter 36 to 39. And Isaiah 36 to 39 is an interesting one because Isaiah 36 to 39 is kind of like history sandwiched between prophecy. Is that, you know, Isaiah 1 to 35 is a lot of prophecy. Isaiah 40 to 66 is a lot of prophecy, but sandwiched in between where we're at today, Isaiah 36 to 39 is a bit of history. So much so that you're gonna find that Isaiah 36 to 39 is also found in 2 Kings 18 to 20 in the history books of Israel. And, and in fact, it's almost word for word. And most likely what happened is that Isaiah, who is a major player, a major character, a firsthand witness to these events that are going on, he's writing these things, things down, and then it gets incorporated into the history books of Israel, which is 2 Kings 18 to 20. And so you find it in two places. You also find it here in Isaiah 36 to 39. And so let's set the stage today as we look at 36 to 39 today. See, have you ever been trash-talked before? Has anyone, you know, maybe on the basketball court or, you know, on the phone, someone's like trash-talking you? Let me tell you a time when I was being trash-talked. You know, a long time ago when uh, my wife Charlene and I were living in Taiwan, we lived in this apartment building where at the bottom of the the apartment building, in the basement, there is this gym, this very simple gym. The lights didn't really work. It was really dark, didn't have a whole lot of equipment, but when I didn't know where else to go to exercise, I go into that gym. There's one particular day where I go into this gym and I see this little boy in the the gym buying there. He's only six years old, maybe really, 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 really young. And I go into the gym. and I start doing my thing. I start working on the, you know, on the bench press or, you know, I'm, I'm using some of the machines. And this, this boy starts to trash talk me. He starts to say stuff like, my dad is so much stronger than you. My, my dad could beat you up easily. You know, he's saying these things in Mandarin. And because maybe I, I, my Mandarin's not very good, I didn't really know how to respond, let alone what to say back. But he's just kept on trash talking me for the rest of my work. I was like, you know, like my, my, my dad is so much better than you are. And I was like, I was like, do I know you? Like, I, I've never met you before. What do you, ta-? and, and what, what, what is that? Is that this guy was trash talking me. Why do I mention that? It's because in Isaiah 36, there is a scene that begins with a whole bunch of trash talking. See, what's happened is that the kingdom of Assyria has laid waste to all the other cities in the land of Judah, and you know, uh, you know, in fact, you know Sennacherib, who's the king of Assyria, in his own annals, he'll say, "I laid waste to 46 cities. 46 cities in Judah have already been destroyed, and now there is one city left. It is the capital city of Jerusalem. And the fact is this: Assyria is about to put a siege on Jerusalem, going to surround them, and Jerusalem is severely outgunned and severely out numbered. And yet before Assyria even lays a hand on Jerusalem, what happens? The field commander of Assyria gets up onto the aqueduct of the upper pool of Jerusalem. And just like Muhammad Ali back in his prime, just like Conor McGregor from a few years ago, just like Stone Stone Cold Steve Austin from the nineties, is that before they would literally beat people down with their fists, they would beat people down with their words, even before they stepped into the ring. And so this field commander starts to go on this trash-talking tirade for the ages. He goes on and on. And basically, if I to sum up his speech, because we're not gonna read it all, but what he says is basically, you know, what makes you think, Jerusalem, that you can stand toe-to-toe with us, Assyria? What makes you think that you can stand up to us in a war? Let me give you four reasons that you, Jerusalem, are not gonna survive. Number one, you're depending on Egypt to help you? Egypt's not gonna help you. Egypt is like this this splintered staff, you lean on it, it's just going to hurt you. They're not going to help you at all. And then number two is that you think God is going to help you. You're depending on God to help you. Your God's not going to help you. Your God is mad at you. Remember how, you know, Hezekiah, your king, he he got rid of all these different altars. Your God is mad at you. He's not going to help you. And then he says, you know what? Number three, you think you can stand up to us. What weapons do you have? You don't have any weapons. Let me give you 2,000 horses. You're not going to have enough men to put on those horses. What do you think you're doing? Number four, God himself told me to come after you. God himself told me to come against your country and march against it and destroy it. Now, while some of the things that this field commander, this trash-talking field commander is saying are off base and based on misunderstandings, the fact is that there's some truth to what this guy is saying. And that's partly what makes it so intimidating. And see, because the fact is Isaiah had said over and over that God was gonna allow Assyria to become almost like an instrument to punish Judah for their sins is that Isaiah over and over would warn the king of Judah, Hezekiah, that an alliance with Egypt isn't going to work and that God also said through Isaiah that over and over Isaiah is gonna come and it's gonna wreak havoc in Judah, but God also promised to rescue Jerusalem. And this is the promise that Hezekiah, the king of Judah, is hanging on to. That said, this Phil commander, he just keeps on trash-talking. And in fact, it's making the, the guys in Jerusalem very uncomfortable. The officials of Jerusalem, they're listening to this, and like, please don't talk to us in Hebrew. Because amazingly, this guy knows Hebrew. He's trash-talking in Hebrew, in the presence of all of the Jerusalem soldiers. He's talking in Hebrew in a way that everyone can understand. And, 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 and Hezekiah's officials are like, shh, please don't talk in their language. Please don't talk in, the, in a way that they can understand. Please don't scare them more. They just, just talk to us in Aramaic. He's like, and he had, and, and, the field came out and he goes, you know what? You think I'm just talking to you? You think I'm just sending a message to Hezekiah? I'm sending a message to all of you. The fact is this, you are going down and you are not going to win this war. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Let me send you a message from the real king, the great king of Assyria. Sennacherib says, surrender now and we'll take good care of you. You will each have your own vine. You'll drink from your own cistern. You're gonna be okay. Besides, what makes you think? That your God can deliver your nation. What God of what other nation has ever delivered the, their nation from us? No one. And see, when King Hezekiah hears this trash-talking tirade, what does he do? Look at Isaiah 37, 1-4 with me. This is what he does. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shibna, the secretary, and the leading priest, and all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz. They told him, This is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. So what's going on? Hezekiah hears all this trash talking, all these intimidating messages, but Hezekiah refuses to back down. Instead, he goes into the temple and he goes to pray. It's one of the best things you can do in a crisis, in a time of waiting, in a time when you're not really sure what to do, is you go to where God is and you pray. And Hezekiah not only prays, but he also enlists the prayers of someone else. He enlists the help and the support of Isaiah the prophet, and he says, "Isaiah, would you pray with us, please?" And see, while Isaiah is praying, while Hezekiah is praying, the king of Assyria sends another very similar sounding message to Hezekiah. And what does Hezekiah do? Well, it comes in the form of a letter. And what does Isaiah chapter thirty-seven say? But what for, what, what what Hezekiah did? Look at verse fourteen. It says Hezekiah received the letter from the Messengers. It's this trash-talking letter from the king of Assyria. He read it, and then he went up to the temple of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. He kind of just gave, he lays his burden down, literally at the feet of God. And and at verse fifteen, says, "Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty." God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. See, what's going on? Hezekiah is facing some facts. See, faith isn't a denial of reality. Faith first requires you face the facts. And the fact is, yeah, Assyria has been laying waste to every nation they have invaded. And the fact is Assyria has been this unstoppable force so far. But not only is that the fact that Hezekiah focuses on, he focuses on even greater fact, the fact that God is greater. The fact that God is greater than Assyria. And so he calls out to the one who is greater than the, the issue that he's facing. And he says, oh Lord, for the sake of people knowing who you are, would you please come and would you deliver us from his hand? And so shortly after, Hezekiah prays that prayer. Isaiah, the prophet comes to Hezekiah and he says this, Isaiah thirty-seven twenty-one says, then Isaiah, son of Amaz sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And see, that's the answer from God. Hezekiah prays, God answers, and look at verse 36. It says, then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. That very same night. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. See what's going on? God answered in a way that was incredible such that Hezekiah, his army, didn't even have to lift a finger, God did it all. And to show that it is truly the Lord who is God and that it is the Assyrian God that is impotent. Verse 38 says that while Sennacherib is now back home and he's you know, trying to recover from this incredible defeat, lost 185,000 185, of his men, he's worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his God, and there he's cut down by his own sons by the sword. And see, Hezekiah and his armies didn't need to do a thing. All they needed to do was trust in God. And the fact is, it's because just like God had promised in Isaiah 27, in Isaiah 28, in Isaiah 29, in Isaiah 30, in Isaiah 31, God struck down the Assyrian armies and came to Jerusalem's rescue. What can we learn from all of this? There's a few lessons we can learn. Number one, God is faithful to his promises. Whatever God says he will do, you can count on him to do. He is faithful to every promise he makes. There's over 3,000 promises in the Bible for us. And every single one of them, God is trustworthy to keep. He is faithful to his promises. Number two, God is greater than your problem. Is that whatever situation you may be facing, whatever uncertainty you may be encountering, no problem is bigger than God. God is greater than the problem that you're facing. No matter how big it might seem, God is bigger still. Turn to and say, God is greater. God is greater, and when you know that God is greater and that God is on your side, you can, like David in Psalm 27, say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies, my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, even then my heart will not fear. When war breaks out against me, even then will I be confident. It's because God is greater than your problem, Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand. Let's play together right now. Whatever it is you're facing today, God is greater still. He's greater than your problem. Number three, third lesson we learn from Isaiah 36 and 37 is that God is wanting you on a team. Do you notice that? Hezekiah wasn't doing this on his own. He had a team. He had, most importantly, Isaiah on his team. And the fact is, God didn't make you to go through a season of waiting today by doing it by yourself. Some lone ranger, some island on your own, you're just quarantining all your decision-making. You're quarantining your stress. You're quarantining all that stuff you're going through, and you're not talking to anyone about it. No, God made you to be part of a team. That's why being part of a small group is so important. A place where you don't just shoot the breeze and talk about superficial stuff, but we can get deep and talk about what's really going on and receive prayer, support, encouragement to help you in a season of waiting. That's why we've got TDS throughout School because God wants you on a team so you can be equipped to grow into the person that God made you to be. If you believe that, say amen. to your neighbor and say, God wants you on a team. God wants you on a team. Just like Hezekiah was on a team. He wasn't on his own. God made you to be on a team too. Number four, and this is probably the most important one for today. God is listening to your prayers. God is listening to your prayers. You know, Isaiah 37, 21 says this. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Because you have prayed to me, would you, if you have your verse, that verse in front of you, would you underline that verse? Because you have prayed to me. In verse 35, he says, I will defend the city and save it. For the sake of, for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant, because you have prayed to me. See, if there's one lesson we can learn from Isaiah 36 to 39, if there's one lesson we can learn from the life of Hezekiah, it's about the difference that prayer makes in our lives. See, what is prayer? Prayer is simply connecting and communing with God. Have you experienced the power of prayer in your life? See here, throughout church, we believe in the power of prayer. We even have a saying that we say often at our prayer meetings, which is that is that you know, we say, you know, with prayer comes power. So much prayer means much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. It's because with prayer comes power. It's the difference that prayer makes. And I can remember, you know, times when I first started to experience the power of prayer. I remember once when I was a really young guy, I was a drummer. For a worship band, and uh, I remember we, I was I was pouring rain one day, and I'm, i it's like I'm going to a practice for our band, a rehearsal for a band, and I, I'm 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 going there, and you know in the pouring rain, I'm in a big rush, and I get to the practice, I get to the rehearsal place, and all of a sudden I realize, hey, where's my wallet? I can't find my wallet. Like, and, and, and all of a sudden I start to pack. I'm, oh my goodness, my ID, my credit cards. Oh my goodness, what's happening? Like, and, 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 and have you ever lost your wallet before? you kind of like, oh my goodness. Where, where? And I looked everywhere. I was like, where, where couldn't find it? And, and, and you know, people noticed that I was being a little agitated. Uh, and, and so the, the band leader, the worship leader came up to me and goes, hey, JB, is everything okay? I was like, I, I can't find my wallet. He's like, oh, can't find his wallet. All right, come everyone team, let's, let, we're gonna, let's pray for JB right now. Let's pray that he will find his wallet. And, and that's like, okay, all right. I mean, and, and back in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how this, this is going to help, but okay, fine. Oh, you want to pray for me? Sure. And so, so they prayed for me and, and, and he said really confident, God, thank you that JB going to find his wallet. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. And you know what happened? We went back to our places. I went back behind the drum set. And about five minutes later, this old woman who's drenched in rain comes up and goes, did someone lose a wallet? And, and, and she, looked, she opens it's my wallet. I'm like, where did you find this? I found it three blocks away from here. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. That, that was one of the first times I think I experienced the power of prayer. Another time, is 10, well, over 10 years ago, my wife and I were living in Vancouver and, and we're looking for a house, uh, a house I think in, 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 in Richmond. And, and uh, we had been looking for six months. We looked at over a 100 houses. And, you know, Charlene, if you know Charlene, she's the master of Excel. She can fry an egg with Excel. She can drive a car with Excel. She does a lot of spreadsheets with Excel. And, you know, every time we had any house that had, you know, maybe the specifications that we wanted, you know, she would, she would write it in there. And, and, and she had all this research done. You know, as soon as a house Houses is on the market. She'd have it on her spreadsheet. And, but for some reason, despite all the spreadsheets that Char would make, despite all the houses, over a hundred houses that we looked at, we still couldn't find the house after six months of looking. And one day I'm, I'm having like a, a meal with my dad and my dad says, he said, like, Hey, have you found a house yet? I was like, no. And he was like, well, have you prayed about it? And I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, uh, actually, no. And this this is me, a young pastor, haven't really prayed about this issue. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, he's right. I actually haven't prayed about this. And so I went home that night. I I went into my electronic journal. It's not a diary, it's a journal, all right? And I I, I put it in, uh, you know, something to God. I wrote a prayer. And I just kind of wrote down all the things that we were hoping to have in this house. You know, the kind of neighborhood that we wanted to be in, uh, you know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, you know, how wide the frontage could be, you know, how, how high ideal the ceilings could be, you know, you know, how the kitchen could connect to the family room and all these different specs that we had, maybe 12, 15 different specs. And then I wrote at the end with some faith, I said, thank you, God, in advance for this house. And then the next day, you know, I'm, I'm heading to the gym, I'm driving and I take this wrong turn and i end up close to the neighborhood that we would ideally like to be in and i was like you know what since i'm late anyways i'm just gonna go anyways and so i started going going to the neighborhood and i see this house this really cute house that has a for sale sign at the front i was like hey that's a cute house and i i look at the 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 the, the address and and i i i call Shar, and i was like Shar, like what do you think of this house on so and so so? i gave her the address and she's like uh it's not in my system it's like, what? How could it be not in your system? If it's anywhere, it's in your system. It wasn't in your system. And I, I called the realtor on that sign, that for sale sign. And, and she was shocked. She said, how do you know that this thing's on sale? Like, because I, 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 I just saw the sign right here. He's like, I, I haven't even put this on the market yet. I just put the sign in two hours ago. You want to come and see it? We went in to see the house and met all of our specifications and we closed on that house just a couple months later. And, and, and what happened? Six months, we were searching in our own strength for a house, didn't pray about it, found nothing. The next day we pray. And the next day after that, we find the house. Isn't that incredible? And, and see here's the thing, it's like over and over and over. There think just different stories in my life where I feel like God was showing that prayer makes a difference. And see, the, you know, Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Virginia, he, he does a really great job of sharing five reasons why we need to pray. and I think I'll just share them, paraphrase them for you today. Reason number one, I need to pray because God often saves his biggest blessings for when we ask. I need to pray because God often saves his biggest blessings for when we ask. Look at James 4, verse 2. It says, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. See? See? you do not have because you do not ask God. That's not to say that God is you know, this really manipulative God who withholds everything from us until we ask. No, God is your loving father. And very often he'll give you things that you never even asked for, but you need them. And that's how good our God is. But see, you might be like, JB, doesn't, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 6, 8, that God knows our every need even before we ask? Doesn't he? Yeah, he does. So why bother asking? Well, let me ask you this question. let let me put it to you this way. See, first off, like, like I said, God doesn't withhold everything. God is a good God. He often thinks about things before we do. In fact, he always does. And oftentimes he gives us things before we even know that we need them. But God also wants us to ask because when we ask, we learn humility. When we ask, we learn dependence on God. Rather than self-sufficiency, it's all about me and my hard work. We learn to depend on God. We learn to be humble. Another reason why God wants us to ask is that when we ask, we learn patience in the waiting. We learn to be patient. We learn to persevere. Another reason why God lets us ask is because we learn to be grateful when we receive it. And so it's it's it's, it's that it's he teaches us humility, he teaches us patience, he teaches us perseverance, he teaches us gratitude, just by asking us to ask. Tell, tell your neighbors, say God wants you to ask. God wants you to ask. See, God is not some manipulative dad in heaven who just says, I won't give unless you ask. No, but he, in, he wants to connect with us. He wants a relationship with us. That's why he, 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 he wants us to ask. And here's the thing, as your heavenly father, God will filter through our requests. Do you know that? You know he's not some genie in a bottle, or you know some you know some vending machine where you just ask for anything you want, you'll get. No, it's not one of those things. But James four three says it this way: When you ask and do not receive, you know, when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, in other words, sometimes the reason we ask and we don't get what we ask for, is sometimes because our motives are off. Not all the time, but sometimes because our motives are off. And see, because God filters through our requests, and if our request isn't what's best, God will say, without it, you're more blessed. Let me say it again, is that God filters through our requests. And if our request isn't what's best, God will say, without it, you're more blessed. Amen? Amen. And that's why sometimes God's answer to your asking will be yes, sometimes it will be no, and sometimes it will be not now or not yet because God loves you and he knows what's best for you. Amen. That's the first reason why we need to pray because God often saves his biggest blessings for when we ask. Number, reason number two, I need to pray because God loves to show his power in and through my life. How many of you know that when you pray and you ask of God, what you're doing is you are giving God room to do what he can do in your life. You're not just depending on yourself, your plans, your smarts, your intelligence, your experience, but you're depending on God to do something only he can do. You know, Isaiah 38 Isaiah 38, so much we can say about this passage. This one is a sermon on its own, but let me just say this, is that we're looking at Isaiah 38 really briefly. And what just happened in the story we just saw in Isaiah 36, 37, we saw how God rescued the nation of Judah from the brink of extinction. They're like one inch from being totally destroyed and with one foot in the grave, God pulls them back out again. And what we're gonna see in Isaiah 38 is that God just doesn't do that on a national level. He's gonna do it on an individual level. He's gonna do it in the life of the king of Judah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is gonna be within an inch of his death and with one foot in the grave, God's gonna pull him out again. Look at verse one of Isaiah 38. It says, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Verse two, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Stop right there. You know, one of the things I love about Hezekiah is that he's facing a wall, but he's praying to God. You might be facing a wall today, facing a wall called uncertainty, facing a wall called worry, facing a wall called depression, facing a wall called financial difficulties, facing a wall called marriage problems, facing a wall called depression. What it might be, but the fact is this, Hezekiah, he's facing a wall, but he prays to the God who's greater than the wall. And see, verse three says, remember, O Lord, how I've walked faithfully before you with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He's finding out that he's, his days are numbered. It's grim news. And then verse four, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go to tell Isaiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. See, what's the lesson here? Well, one of the lessons we can learn first when we compare Isaiah 36 and 37 to Isaiah 38 is that God doesn't, doesn't just care for nations. God has a heart for individuals. He has a heart for you personally. You are not just a number in God's eyes. You are individually, personally loved by God. He cares about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. That's how much he loves you. You know, that's the first lesson. Another one is that God sees the suffering and anguish that you go through. He's not removed. He's not, you know, not there, doesn't care, distant from what you go through. No, he he sees your tears. He sees every tear that you shed. He's close. That's how much he loves you. Another one is that God is sovereign and God in his sovereignty somehow chooses to let our choices matter. Is that in his sovereignty, even though he's in control, even though he is sovereign, in his sovereignty, he decides that our choices in life are going to matter. It matters how you live this life, it matters whether or not you respond to God. He somehow creates a world where it is possible for God to be in control and for us to have the ability to make free choices. It's because in his sovereignty, God chooses it and God responds to our choices. God reacts to our choices. God plans around our choices and uses it for his purposes. That's another lesson. Another one is this, is that notice this, Hezekiah didn't even ask to be healed. He just said, God, remember me. God, remember me. He appeals not to the mercy of God, but to the memory of God. He's like, God, remember the way I lived. And, uh, and it's, it's not maybe the smartest prayer to pray because the fact is none of us can impress God with our lives, but he just kind of, he calls out to God and the simple, humble, flawed prayer you know, you know, Hezekiah comes to God with it, and God was willing to respond to it. God responded to the simple prayer of a broken man, and it's because a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And, you know, another lesson is that God loves to show his power in and through our lives when we give him the room to do so. So, you know, I, remember we, I, had, a, I had a friend, a Muslim friend from Indonesia, and uh, she was heading back home to Indonesia. Uh, and so, you know, my wife and I, Charlene and I, we thought we'd send her on, uh, we, we, we'd give her a gift, like a special gift just to kind of uh, say, hey, we, we miss you, we're thinking about you. And so Char sent me on an errand to get a present for this friend. And so we went to a stuffed, an- I went to a stuffed animal store. And it got to this big stuffed animal. And I still remember walking around the streets with this big stuffed animal. People went, what's that for? And I, I, I remember that. And I remember going to her house. Charlene and I were going to her house and we, we knock on the door and the, her family says, oh, I'm sorry, she's not feeling well right now. And we're like, is everything okay? It was like, it's, they're like, yeah, she, she's feeling really, really sick right now. And, like, and we're like, can we see her? So we go in the door for her room is closed. We, we knock on the door. She opens the door and she is hunched over. Because she's got this major stomach ache that she has no explanation for. And for some reason, as she's talking, as we're spending time, I I just get the sense that God was saying, You know, I want to heal her. And so I was like, Hey, like, can we pray for you? And and we just prayed a really simple prayer. I said, God, we just pray in Jesus' name, would you heal our friend today? Would you heal her today? And for some reason, immediately, something went away, and, and she was just okay again, and she was good again, and, and it, it shocked her so much that the next day, she called us back to her room, she called back to her, her house, and she said, can I ask you about what happened there? He's like, why is it that as a Muslim, I've been praying to Allah this whole time, but I've never experienced something like that before? It's because there's something special about praying to the name of Jesus, because there's something special about the God that we serve, his name is Jesus Christ. And see, have there been times when I've prayed for healing and nothing happened? Yeah, there have been times like that. That's because it's to show that you know, I'm not God. Only God is God. God's job is to decide what to do. We're, our job is to pray. God is the healer, not us. But it goes to show that when we give God room to work in our lives, God loves to show his power in and through our lives. And we do that most of all through prayer. Turn to your neighbor and say God loves to show his power. God loves to show his power. Reason number three, are you guys learning something today? Reason number three, I need to pray because prayer bends my will to the will of God. Prayer bends my will to the will of God. See, the fact is God has a will and I have a will. You have a will as well. And when it comes to my will and God's will, sometimes those wills will align, but sometimes those wills will not align. And when my will does not align with God's will, or when I simply don't know what God's will is, maybe it's like, oh, should I go for that job opportunity? Should I, should I, should, should, should I, should I go in that direction? Should I do that? Should I, should I get in that relationship? Like, and, and we don't know. We just don't even know. when We don't know if our will aligns with God's will. Prayer helps us to bend our will toward the will of God. It allows us to be surrendered to God's will. For example, you know, last Sunday, Pastor Shar preached a powerful message about how faith waits and how there was a time in her life when she really sensed that God was saying to her, it's time to go back to Vancouver. We we're living in Taiwan at the time. She didn't want to go back. And, but then it was through prayer that she struggled with God and eventually her will bent toward God's will. It's because prayer has that that, that effect on our lives is that prayer bends my will to the will of God. E. Stanley Jones puts it this way. He says, if I'm in a boat and I throw a boat hook or an anchor from the boat and it catches hold of the shore and I start to pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? See, prayer is not pulling God to my will, but prayer is aligning my will with the will of God. And see, and the flip side is also true, is that whereas prayer helps us bend our will to the will of God, the fact is when I don't pray and I don't consult God and I don't ask God, especially about the big decisions of life, I can miss God's will completely. See, that's what happened with Hezekiah in Isaiah 39. Is that Hezekiah, he miraculously covers, recovers from that deathly illness in chapter 38 and the Babylonians hear about it. The Babylonians are like, oh my goodness, what happened? And, and they, they, they send a letter, the king of Babylon sends a letter to them. He sends, he sends a gift, a bunch of gifts. He said, hey, can I send some messengers to see you, Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, without praying about it, without thinking about it, without consulting God about it, without asking God about it. He's like, oh sure, come, come, come. Come not come. And, and, and he, he allows the, the Babylonians to come. He thinks, oh, we're going to be best buds, best friends forever, allies for life. And he allows the Babylonians to come. And he shows the Babylonians all of his country's top secrets. He shows you know, them where Judah keeps its treasury. He shows the Babylonians where Judah keeps its weapons. He shows the Babylonians where Judah keeps its supplies. He shows them everything. And then Isaiah 39, verse five to eight, you know, Isaiah comes to, 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 to to, to Hezekiah and says, what what did you just do? And, and Hezekiah says, I showed them everything. Like every treasure we have, I showed them. And this is what Isaiah says in response to verse five. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. What? What's going on? What's going on? Isaiah says, because you weren't careful, You didn't ask God. You just went ahead and did something impetuous and you you basically exposed your nation to the people of Babylon. What's going to happen? Babylon is going to take you over one day, but it's not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to happen later on. And see, maybe because Hezekiah was so into his own tiny bubble that he lives in, he's like, you know what? At least it's not going to happen in my lifetime. At least there's going to be peace and security in my lifetime. But here's the, here's how odd that statement is because if you study Isaiah 38 and 39 carefully, you're going to realize something, is that the events of Isaiah 38 and 39, Hezekiah's illness and he recovers, you know, Hezekiah showing Babylon all this stuff, all the secrets and exposing his nation to them. All this happened before God rescued Hezekiah from Assyria. All like Isaiah 36 and 37, those events actually happened after. And so, in other words, shortly after, Isaiah, uh, shortly after Hezekiah says, oh, at least there will be peace and security in my lifetime, guess what happens? Within a couple of years, the Assyrians are upon them, and they're just within an inch of destruction, and, and, and it was God who had to desperately rescue them out of their clutches, and there wasn't peace and security that way. Just ironic and funny how that worked. And be, but you might be, well, why, why would Isaiah order it that way? Why would he put, why, why would he kind of do this almost like this movie flashback, where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, this. Assyrians are attacking Jerusalem and, and Hezekiah prays to God. God rescues Jerusalem from Assyria, beats down the Assyrians. And then flashback to years, years, and years before where Hezekiah is sick and he recovers. And, and, and Hezekiah makes this big mistake with the Babylonians. Why, why do that? Why do that flashback thing? Well, one reason is to show this is that Hezekiah is not the Messiah everyone's waiting for. Hezekiah is a man just like you and me. The real Messiah is still to come but that's probably the biggest reason why. But if the events of Isaiah 38 and 39 came before the events of Isaiah 36 and 37, that means this, God is incredibly merciful and gracious to Hezekiah is that despite making some major mistakes, despite all of his weakness, God made his power perfect in Hezekiah's weakness. And he does that in your life and my life too. God's mercy, not because we're so good, not because God remembered how good and faithful we were, but simply because of God's mercy, God is good to us. Amen. And, and, and another thing we learn is that sometimes just like he did with Hezekiah, God will test us in the private before he releases us to lead in the public. That's what happened with Hezekiah as well. And one of the one, one most important lesson from that is when we fail to pray, we can miss God's will and put ourselves and those in our care at risk. See, that's why one of the best prayers that you can pray, especially in a time of waiting, is say, God, give me the right heart and the right perspective to look at the situation. Not just, oh God, solve me, solve this, give me this, give me that, but, but God, help me to see this your way. I don't wanna miss your will. Help me to see what you see here. Through prayer, you're bending your will to God's will. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's reason number three. I gotta go quickly here. Reason number four, fourth reason to pray. I need to pray because prayer helps me conquer anxiety, worry, fear, and temptation. See, the fact is prayer is your best medicine when you're stressed. Prayer is your best solution when you are troubled. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something amazing happens when through prayer, we surrender our issues, our burdens, our frustrations, our worries, and our hurts to God, is that in exchange, he gives us his peace. That's the peace that passes understanding. We pray because prayer helps us conquer the worry, the anxiety, the fear, and the temptation that we face. Reason number five, I need to pray because prayer is the pathway to forgiveness. First you know, John 1, 9 says this, it says, if we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The fact is, we all need forgiveness. That is the message of Isaiah. That's the message of the entire Bible is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us have done, said, thought things that were not the way that God would have done, said, and thought it. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. Can't have anything to do with a perfect, holy God. And at the end of your life, if you think that your way to heaven is to present God with a resume and say, look how faithful I was. Look how good I am. Look how many people I helped. The fact is you're gonna be in for a big disappointment because the fact is none of us can get to God on our own merit. But because God knew that, and still God didn't want to be separate from us. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that the debt that we owed God could be canceled. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but on the third day, he rose again from the grave to show that he's no ordinary man, but he is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is prince of peace. He is our savior. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we need, the savior of our sins. He's the God who's our best friend well, oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout. And let's get together right now. That's why Psalm 51, David writes, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. You know, David had committed adultery and, uh, you know, he'd had an affair and, and, and he knows that more than anyone else, he needs to go to God and get right with God. And it's not because of anything good he's done. He pleads for God's mercy. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. It's because prayer is the pathway to forgiveness. When we open up our hearts to God through prayer, we give God the, the room to do what only he can do. We can't forgive ourselves, but God can forgive. And he did so when he sent Jesus Christ for us. You know, let me end by just saying this. If you want to get closer to God, pray. If you're sick and need healing, pray. If you're worried, stressed, depressed, anxious, fearful, pray. If you're tempted right now, pray. If you're struggling or doubting right now, pray. If you don't know what else to do, pray. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, the Bible, whenever it tells us to devote ourselves to something, it's because we, he, the Bible knows that it's not natural for us to devote ourselves to it. And when you know, Paul says, devote ourselves to prayer, it's because he knows how hard it can be. But I'm here to tell you this. You're not too busy to pray. You're too busy not to pray. And the fact is that it's so much easier to talk about God than to talk with God. It's so much easier to talk about God than to listen to him. It's so much easier to talk about God than to pray. But if you would devote yourself to prayer and make a point of it to do so every day, then you're going to find the difference that prayer makes. And so I encourage you to come to prayer meetings at Thrive encourage you to make the most of every opportunity you can to pray. encourage you to go to TDS throughout separate School and learn more about how you can make the most of your prayer life. Because when we devote ourselves to prayer, we'll see, just like in Hezekiah's life, the difference that prayer makes. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now? Praise God. So let's pray. I want to invite you right now, every person here in this place who's watching, to respond to God, because we're not just here to give you information, but we're here believing that with Jesus Christ, transformation is possible. And so with that in mind, I just want to pray for those of you who need God's forgiveness, who realize that you're a sinner who needs a savior, and you want God to do what only he can do in your life, which is forgive your sins and to cleanse you of unrighteousness and to give you a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that only he can do. We can't do it on our own merit. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And it's as simple as praying a prayer to receive it. And so if that's you and you wanna receive that today, you wanna receive God's forgiveness, God's peace, I wanna encourage you to click that link that's in your chat room, scan that code that's on your screen. And I'm just going to take you to a page with a prayer on it that you can pray. And it's not so much the words that you pray as much as the attitude of your heart that counts the most. But I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer. And so that you're not doing this on your own, I'm going to pray this prayer with you together. And knowing that there's others in this place who are praying this prayer with you as well. And so if you know you need God's forgiveness or you want God's peace, you want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, i want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. And just say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, You died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you have done for me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You have a relationship with God. You are a child of God. And uh, we are so thrilled for you. In fact, we've got a special gift we wanna give to you. If you wanna click the little link at the end of that prayer page, it'll send you to a gift that we love to give to you. On top of that, we encourage you to keep coming to church. Every baby needs a family to grow in. We'd love to be your spiritual family. On top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. It's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I believe in Jesus. And if that's you, encourage you to take that step and go to mythought.info for more information on baptism. Finally, we just want to give every single person here an opportunity to do what we've talked about today, to experience the difference that prayer makes. How do you pray? The fact is this, there's no set form to prayer. You can pray standing, you can pray sitting, you can pray kneeling, you can pray lying down, you can open your eyes, you can close your eyes, you can pray out loud, you can pray silently. There's all sorts of ways to pray. You can pray writing, you know, you can write out your prayer. And maybe you're wondering why here at Thrive, we pray out loud together. Uh, It's because a few reasons. One is that we believe that prayer is a participation activity. It's not a spectator sport. You weren't made just to watch other people pray and listen to other people pray, but you were made to pray yourself because God loves you and God is listening to your prayers. That's the first reason. The second reason we encourage everyone to pray out loud is because when we do so, it builds an atmosphere of faith. Believe it or not, even when you and I are in two separate places because of screens and COVID, the fact is when you pray and I pray together, there's something powerful that happens. And I'll encourage you to help us build an atmosphere of faith by praying out loud together. Third is it saves time. If we got every single person to pray turn by turn by turn, we would be here forever. Uh, I'd have a very long beard at the end of it all. The fact is this. We want to pray together uh, and to save time, we pray all out loud knowing that God hears every single one of us because that's God for you. And so with that in mind, maybe you're facing a wall today. Maybe you're facing a problem that is beyond your ability to solve. Maybe you're in a season of waiting. I want to encourage you today to remember God is faithful to promises. God is greater than your problem. God is wanting you on a team. And God is listening to your prayers. And so since he's all the above, would you lift your hands to God right now and let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him? And would you start talking to God from your heart and your own words? Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. Make this your moment with God right now. Would you just start talking to God from your heart in your own words? Say whatever you need to say to him. Just make it meaningful. Make it sincere. From the heart, just start talking to him. Give him your burdens. Give him your, your, your thanks. Give him your praise. Give him your questions. Give whatever it is you need to give him today. Give him your hurt. Give him your joy give him everything right now don't wait for me to stop talking you just start talking to God right now in your own words just do that as the music is playing let's make this a prayer meeting right now would you start talking to God in this place right now thank you Jesus thank you Father thank you God that's it church just start praying to God today thank you Father thank you God thank you that you are faithful to your promises thank you Jesus praise your name thank you God thank you that you are greater than our circumstances praise you Father Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you made us for a team. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you're here. That You love every single person here, that you're listening to their prayers, even right now, as we give our burdens to you, as we give our issues to you, as we give our worship to you, as we give our thanks to you, that you're here, you're listening. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, we want to thank you so much that just as we are, we can come into your presence with confidence that you hear our prayers, not because we are any good, but simply because you are a gracious, compassionate, merciful God who rises to show us compassion. We thank you so much, God, that you know every single person here, that you've heard their prayers, you've seen their tears, and that you will give them everything they need to go through this season. If it's a season of waiting, thank you, God, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you, Jesus, that the best is yet to come. Thank you, God, that you are not done with the story that you're writing with their lives. Thank you, God, that it doesn't depend all on us, but that we can rely on the faithfulness of every promise you make. We thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. And because you are with us, who can be against us? We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We give God a big hand, a big shout on this place together right now. Right now, our band's gonna lead us in the song. How many of you know that songs to God are prayers to God as well? So let's continue to pray to God through our music. Let's give our faithful tithes, our generous offerings. Know that when we seek God's kingdom first, he gives us what? He gives us everything we need and he builds his church and his kingdom through us. And so encourage you to give. Go to mythought.info to give. Let's give our very best to God because he gave his very best to us. Let's sing this song together right now.
2: Precious Savior Who can stand between i For loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being with us every single day. God, we just want to sing to you a new song.
1: Got a big hand, a big shot in this place together right now. It's been amazing being here at Thrive Church online with each and every one of you. We hope you've benefited from the service today. Again, if you've got questions we can answer or ways that we can serve you, email us at info thrivechurch.ca or go to mythrive.info for next steps. TDS, Thrive Disciple School, is happening today. There's a Q&A session at 12.45 p.m. Pacific time. I encourage you to join that if you're interested or curious about TDS. We'd love to see you there. We'll see you guys next week for the continuation of our series, Waiting for Sunrise, Looking Through the Book of Isaiah, We can't wait to see you. We'll see you guys in small groups. See you in prayer meeting. Praise God. The best is yet to come. Let me pray for you really quick one last time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that it's all about you. And because it's all about you, we pray and give you worship and praise and say, because you know the plans you have for every single person here, let your presence, your power, your promise, your protection, rest, healing, comfort, strength, your Holy Spirit, fill every single person here until we next meet again. We thank you. We give you praise in jesus name we pray amen that's it for us today hand it back to our online hosts have a great week everybody god loves you we love you too have a great one the best is yet to come take care everybody
0: thank you for the powerful message pastor jb i've learned so many new perspectives about prayer and can't wait to experience more of god in my prayer life now for the announcements if this is your first time visiting us we would love to hear from you. Text NEW to 604-285-570 or visit mythrive.info and we will mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. It is our way of saying thank you for spending your precious time with us online. If you pray the prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, we're so excited for you. Please let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-570 or by visiting mythrive.info. We have prepared a gift that includes a series of videos that may answer some of your questions about Christianity, and we hope that it will guide you on the right path to follow Jesus. If you would like to get baptized to find out more about baptism, go to mythrive.info to sign up. Have you already registered for Thrive Discipleship School, TDS? If not, make sure to register today, as it is your last day to register. TDS is an online course that helps you build a strong foundation and grow in your relationship with God. Not only will you get to learn 10 powerful lessons in 7 weeks, you'll also be able to learn from your classmates in an online community environment. Registration is available at mythrive.info. If you are still not sure if TDS is the course for you, join us for the TDS Q&A today, May 16th at 12.45pm. Last but not least, we want to invite you to join us next Sunday at Thrive Church Online at 9.30am and 11.30am for Episode 7 of Waiting for Sunrise Message Series. That is all for the announcements. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a privilege spending this time with you. Don't forget to give online at mythrive.info. Have a wonderful week and we will see you again next week, same time here at Thrive Church Online. Stay blessed and healthy and remember you are always in our brains.